it's Jim, it's the World of Bonds. It's Friday the 13th, October 2023. Don't walk under any ladders today. This is for professional investors only, never ever investment advice. I mentioned on Monday about the horrendous attacks on Israel um, by Hamas and how that had triggered a flight to quality in government bond markets at the start of the week. Uh, fears grew earlier in the week about wider global consequences of um, that action and Israel's responses to it. And so that flight to quality accelerated in the early parts of this week, helped, of course, by elevated starting yields for global government bonds. For instance, US 30-year treasuries have been knocking on 5% yields. So at one stage, US Treasury yields had fallen from 4.8% at the end of last week to below 4.55%. That's 25 basis points fall and intraday it got even lower than that. Those 30-year US Treasuries were, as I say, at 5%. They got down 30 basis points or more lower from there. Short-dated yields did move less. So people didn't expect the Fed to be moving dramatically as a result of uh, the geopolitical tensions. Um, So we saw the yield curve flattening after its summer steepening move. Um, As I say, those intraday yield falls had been even greater until we got to yesterday's US CPI inflation numbers. Um, So while the year-on-year direction of travel remains in the right direction, and you know we've got a three handle on headline US inflation at the moment, which uh, you know is, it seems pretty comforting compared to where we've come from. Um, it was still hotter than expected when we look at the granularity of the numbers and the month-on-month increases. And it was especially hot the inf- US inflation numbers in the area of the service sector, where shelter, which is both rents and things like hotels and so forth, in particular surprised on the upside. So when we look at September's CPI, the month-on-month increase was 0.4% for the headline, compared to uh, about 0.3% expected. Core came in at 0.3%. So the CPI year-on-year for the headline, 37 4.1% for the core. But within that, as I say, it was the service sector inflation that did surprise. If we went back to June, month-on-month services inflation was flat. In September, it was up 0.6%, so way higher than the the overall basket, and about the highest we've seen for, for a year now. There was, though, some deflation elsewhere in the basket, obviously, to get to that average number. Um, and the deflation we saw was in core goods prices. They were down 0.4% um, on the month. In particular, you can look at things like used car prices as well and vehicle parts um, in deflation, really. So the services part, which is implied to be reflecting, I guess, strong wage conditions, consumer health, confidence, that was the area, despite the deflation in goods, it was the services that spooked the bond markets. As I say, when you looked at um, the intraday moves yesterday, having had a very strong start today, 30-year US Treasury bond yields jumped by, I guess, 19 basis points. The 10 years were up 14 basis points. Although by the end of the day, some of these moves had been moderated and uh, we didn't end the day that wide. This morning, um, bond yields are down again, I guess about four or five basis points in US Treasuries in the current Asian trading session. 
Finally, on the macro side of things, a few things to, to note. Oil hasn't really responded to the Middle East tensions as perhaps I might have expected to. Um, if you're worried about escalation and, and in particular you're worried about um, the blame getting pinned on this uh, or, or, or some portion of the blame getting pinned on Iran for this, you might be worried that that will cause disruption to oil or a spreading of the war across the Middle East and maybe oil prices therefore would be higher. But oil WTI is at $84.3 per barrel. And as recently as the end of September, uh, before these events in Israel and Gaza, it was around $95 a barrel. So I think that's somewhat surprising. We know that the US has in, improved its reserves situation. Other macro news, China is debating starting a mega fund to help stabilise its uh, fragile stock market. Um, this would be some sort of intervention fund. I guess you could uh, you know, be used to both stabilise volatility, um, sort of cut in when prices are, are down a lot or you could think of it as a form of QE via the stock market channel and uh, Japan has done this. Um, Japan owns a lot of a big percentage of the Japanese stock market mainly through ETFs so it's, it's not a new idea that you can use this to as both a kind of monetary policy tool but also a market stability tool. And um, the other thing to note is that US politics remains uh, hideously fractured uh, Scalise, the Steve Scalise, the Rep Republican uh, candidate for the House Speaker, pulled out yesterday. He can't get enough votes from um, his fractured Republican Party to become the new US House Speaker. So that political uncertainty around, I guess, the, the, the US body politic um, will continue making people nervous that the US debt market faces banana skins around debt ceiling events, shutdowns, you know, all, all those many uh, opportunities to cause the US economy to tank or to have its credit rating cut are going to become difficult to navigate in a world with um, Republicans in particular so fractured at the moment. So uh, US election next year, of course. So chaos persists there. Um, I'm going to end today's podcast with our traditional look at this year's winner of the Nobel Prize in Economics. So congratulations to Claudia Goldin. She won for having advanced, this is a quote, having advanced our understanding of women's labour market outcomes. Um, I recommend you read her interview, which is on the FT website. It's a, it appears to be uh, free and unlocked at the moment. It's by the FT Sarah O'Connor. It was from March 2022. Um, and they have a discussion about Goldin's work and career and how she tries to explain the gender pay gap. And that's probably you know the main thing that, that, that uh, the Nobel committee focused on long career with with many bits but but generally about um issues um around the gender pay gap so have a look it's from march 2022 um and it came out i guess a little bit after golden published her book career and family and in it she you know she she said that while society has made good progress and that when women entered the workforce initially there aren't uh, significant pay gaps between men and women and she says there are plenty of institutional controls to look for unfairness inequality bad actors can get punished uh, you know so um, the institutions exist to stop 
pay inequality on day one, but pay inequality really accelerates at events. So uh, women getting married, women having children in particular is where the gap opens up. And it's not due to bad actors necessarily. I'm not saying there aren't any of those either discriminating uh, against women. But she says that even if any discrimination were eliminated, there would still be this systemic gap that comes about as a result of um, these big life-changing events, marriage and having children. And uh, when asked to explain it and, and in her books, the explanation that Golden puts is that this is what she calls greedy jobs. So a greedy job, to quote her, it, it means that the more hours you put in, the higher your hourly pay. So a normal job or a non-greedy job would, would say, you know, let's say you earn $20 an hour. Um, if you work five hours, you get five times 20. If you work 10 hours, you get 10 times 20. Uh, a greedy job says that if you work 12 hours a day, your hourly work rate is actually much higher too. Um, so and it may not be the number of hours, it may be working at a weekend, it may be working on holiday, it may be changing your plans around at the last minute to uh, accommodate your employer. And it's saying that earnings are not linear it's what there is, what she calls, and for bond market geeks, you'll you'll like this as well, convexity rather than linearity. So uh, people in greedy jobs will work more more uh, more flexibly for their employer rather than flexibly for themselves, and they will get paid a lot more. And that's not possible for women who disproportionately do more childcare and other caring duties, more household. Um, duties uh, as well. So Golden uh, calls this out and also says men should do more to lean in to to reduce that disproportionality around childcare and caring duties because that's really the the thing that prevents uh, women taking up greedy jobs. So you can attack it from both ends, i.e. reducing the greediness of those greedy jobs and getting men to lean in in order to uh, reduce the, the um, portion of women who can't get greedy jobs for that reason. Golden also tried to make the economics profession itself more attractive to women and um, she said it can become, um, I, I guess, mathematical in a, in a way. And I remember this when I, when I worked at um, the Bank of England. We had Mervyn King came in to become chief economist and he had a very, very mathematical quanti view of economics saying, you know, you basically needed econometrics to be able to do economics at the Bank of England. Um, my, my glorious career did not include any econometrics. I think I dropped that course from my economics degree as soon as I could. Not that I don't like maths, but I, I found the other bits more more interesting. And so Golden said, you know, try and get away from the idea that economics is about maths. It's about people. It's about things like inequality, health, labour, Life And so if economics departments at university emphasise that bit of what economics is about, it's a bit that interests me, frankly, uh, rather than the um, using Python all day long to, to do uh, economic econometric models, then we'll have more women attracted to the profession and that will have positive feedback loop on society as a whole. Anyway, congratulations to Claudia Golden for the Nobel and have a good weekend, everyone.